0: You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Romans 5. While you're turning there, um, introduce you all. You all know Drew Lindman, who works with our college and young adults. Drew has his family with us today, mom and dad, sister and brother-in-law. So would you give them a hand of welcome today? I'm glad that you are here. Um, Romans chapter 5, we're, we're about to study verses 12 through 21, and, and what I hope to do this morning is to uh, offer a short introduction Um, that I, I hope will help us to kinda understand this passage because uh, it's not easy to understand and uh, but maybe a short introduction that it kinda kind of help us get us in the right direction before we dive uh, completely into it i joked a bit on wednesday night uh... with our our wednesday night crowd how is it that we can that we can manage to uh... look at sixty seven verses from genesis in one single sermon and yet it took us seven sermons to get through the first eleven verses of romans five it's a wonderful question, it's an important question uh, and it has to do uh, simply with the type of material that we're studying and uh, when you're looking at a, a story, uh, particularly in Genesis, not every word in that story uh, is communicating some kind of a doctrinal truth uh, that, that needs to be uh, or, or an argument that, that needs to be laid out, that's not the nature of it uh, but Romans is not a story and, and, and it's, it's a carefully put together argument or case by Paul, if you will, that, that's, that's full of doctrine, and, and each word, each individual word uh, is significant and uh, in many cases, and it needs to be understood in order to move on to the next thought, and so it just takes a little bit more time, and I know some of you are probably wondering if you will live to see the end of Romans. Uh, I understand that. Um, if not uh, dying of old age, maybe just dying under the weight of the message before we're able to finish it. Uh, but, but I would remind you that we're still on track. I, I'm not very good in math, but I, I planned and hoped to do somewhere around uh, 70 or 80 sermons in that. So it was going to take us a little while. We're, we're at 27. <laughs> or 28, somewhere in there, um, so we're, we're on track, we're, we're on track. And I would also remind you too of something that I, I said to you, the very first sermon that we started with in Romans, and, and that is that if we can pace ourselves and if we can persevere uh, uh, through this, it's almost guaranteed from us in God's Word that we, that our church will be transformed by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is something that should get us excited about it. So it will either leave us dead or it will leave us transformed. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to leave us transformed um, because that's the power of God's word. And so I hope that that's that's something that gets you excited about. Now, my my other hope is that when I tell you this morning that I really just want to talk to you about two words today. Two words. that you will not fall into despair uh, and uh, that you'll recognize how important each one of these words are uh, in in the Word of God. And so I want to begin by reading uh, just, just a few verses here, and I want to talk about how they tie together in the way of an introduction for us. So verse 10, verse 12, and verses 18 and 19. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God... By the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Lord, please give us... Understanding as we look at Your Word by the power of Your Spirit in us, illumine our minds and hearts. Um, Help us not just to understand, but to delight in Your Word and to desire Your Word and the transformation that You desire to produce in us. And so be with us now, and I pray that You would use me as Your servant. I pray that You would increase and I would decrease and Your Word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. The two words I want us to think about today as a way of introduction to this passage is the, is the word there in verse 12, therefore, if you want to underline that, and also the word in that is in verse 10. And actually, it's not, it, it says there, by his life. At the end of verse ten, which I think is better translated "in his life," and I want to lay out reason why that is and why that's important in this in this passage. So the two words that I want to talk about this morning, uh, hopefully briefly, is therefore, and in. Therefore, an end. And the reason I want to talk about those words again is hopefully lay some groundwork for this passage to help us to understand what Paul is doing here. Kent Hughes writes this. He says, it is universally agreed, and I think he's right, that the passage before us, verses 12 through 21, is one of the greatest theological sections in the Bible. Uh, And and that sounds really important, it sounds really exciting, and and it is, until we note also that this is also among the most difficult passages in Romans, uh, if not the entire New Testament. There's difficulties. And one of the reasons it's so difficult is just to be honest, as one scholar notes here, Paul's thoughts here, verses 12 through 21 here, they leap forth like a torrential mountain stream, and they rush on with such force that they don't always come to us carefully formed expression. If I could just translate to you, Paul is sometimes hard to follow, right? Peter said that. The Apostle Peter, 2 Peter 3.16, he says there are some things in them, talking about Paul's writings, that are hard to understand. And uh, so, so we're in good company as we approach this passage, That the, the greatness that is before us, but also the difficulty that is before us, uh, the challenge. But, but if this passage is one of the most important theological passages in the Bible, then I hope it's in your heart and mind that you, you would want to understand what this is saying. And, and, and what, this, what this means for us And that you're ready to labor to understand it And so often th- It's these little words Of Paul that help us To, to bring things uh, together To help us to, to understand So I'm going to try to make it as simple as possible And hopefully not complicated anymore We begin with the word Therefore in verse 12 And uh, as you know when you're reading the Bible And you come to the word therefore You need to stop and ask what's it What's it there for, right? Because it's important. He's, he's drawing. There's a connection to what he has been saying and what he's now getting ready to say. And so that little word is a, is a hinge. Steve Lawson reminds us that, that large doors often swing on small hinges. So major truth... Uh, on it can hinge on, on a one small verse or a phrase or, or or a word, if you will. So, what is the connection between verses twelve through twenty-one and what Paul has been saying already? That's one of the first questions we need to ask as we come to this passage. And so, just to re- just to recap, very very briefly, chapters one through three. Remember, Paul has been laying out the case. Uh, for us that that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God I mean if you can memorize Romans 3 23 you've got the first three chapters right amen all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God you, you got what he's saying there that's that's what he's saying and we're all faced facing God's wrath for for our sins but then we get to chapter 3 verse 21 you remember how important that verse is when Paul announces the righteousness of God has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ, through His Son. And so Paul begins to talk about this good news. Chapter 4, this righteousness is is credited to us. It's been gifted to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. This is called justification. It's when God, upon our faith in Jesus, he, He looks at us and He declares us righteous. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And so, He justifies us. He counts us as righteousness, and He, and he, he imputes, he, he credits righteousness to our account, to our accounts before, before God. And then in chapter 5, there are wonderful assurances that come with this justification. We've been talking about them. They're they're so glorious and grand. Peace with God, grace, hope, joy in suffering, the Holy Spirit, uh, pouring out God's love in our lives, reconciling us to Him. All of these wonderful truths that should lead us to rejoice in God, Paul says several times, rejoice in God, worshiping Him because of these things. And so now we get to verse 12, and Paul is anticipating here. He is answering this question, and you may want to write this down to help you to think through this. And the question is this, how can one man accomplish all of those things for us? How can one man accomplish all of those, those things that He's been talking about, our salvation, our justification, all of these wonderful assurances, how can one man do that? This is an important question. And, and, and a Jew in Paul's congregation or in the congregation there at Rome may have been reasoning this out and may have been reasoning it out, something like this, and maybe you've even thought about these things. Okay, Paul, you say that every man is sinful and lost and facing condemnation and judgment before God, and you're telling me that all of a sudden one man comes on the scene Jesus Christ and he dies on the cross and he rises again and you're telling me by his one act all men can be saved think about that we might even personalize that the question and go a little farther how can what Jesus did so long ago affect me today has it got anything to do with me today How's that possible? This is important because Paul is calling, and you understand the gospel call to come to Christ is one in which we forego all trust in ourselves and all trust in our our own works, all trust in any of those things, ways that we would earn our righteousness. We forego all of it, and we're to put our faith in one man and what he did for us. That's the gospel call. How can that be? How can one, what one man did at one time affects so many? That's the question he's answering here in this passage. That's what he begins answering with verse 12, therefore. That's the connection. J.B. Phillips is a paraphrase and uh, he translates that word therefore as in verse 12 as this. This then is what happened. And he's right, this is what happened. This is how it happened. This is, he's laying this out. Verse 12 begins with, you notice it, just a cursory of of the passage now. Verse 12 begins with one man, but it's not the man that we thought about, that you've been thinking about, Jesus. Verse 12, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Who is this one man? It's not Jesus. It's Adam, isn't it? And he tells us verses 13 and 14. So he, he begins with another one man that we weren't expecting and it's Adam. And he begins to explain what's, all, what's wrong with the world. What, why the world is as it is. How it came to be. And he makes a staggering revelation. We'll talk more about it next week. But that sin and death entered the world through one man, Adam, and his disobedience. And and the fact that that all of us have inherited Adam's sin, that we are in Adam. And, And we'll flesh this out next week, but Paul is establishing here, first at the beginning, how one man's actions, Adam's, brought harm to the whole world. Death spread to all men, Paul says. And then in verse 15, just again, introduction, we're introduced to another one man and we already know who this one man is, right? I mean, if you're in church and there's ever a question, you, just, you give the answer, what's his name? Jesus. And you've got a really good chance of being right. This is the one man, Jesus. And we're told there in that couple of verses about his actions, his obedience, his perfect life, his death, his glorious resurrection. And in doing this, Paul is establishing here how Jesus can bring immense good through to so many. Verse 15, for if many died through one man's trespasses, through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So what Paul is doing here in this passage is essentially comparing and contrasting Adam, one man, and Jesus, uh, one man. First, he contrasts their actions, Adam's disobedience, and yet Christ's obedience for us. And then he, he compares the results of their actions. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men... So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Just as one act of disobedience brought sin into the world condemned all men, so one act of righteousness by Jesus leads to justification and life. That's the good news of the Gospel Church, amen? It's amazing. Lloyd Jones used to say, Thank God for the buts in the Bible. And I would say, Thank God for the therefores in the Bible, too. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Righteousness has come into the world through one man and life through his obedience. And that one man is Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 17. How much more, he says, will we receive the abundance and grace and the free gift of righteousness and life? So so that brings us to the second word I want you to think about today, and it's the word in. In. And remember, we're trying to develop a an introduction a framework for how we're going to look at this passage and we're going to think about this word in for a moment because one of the things paul wants us to consider as we read this and study this is which of the one the one man's are we connected with are we in adam or are we in christ And so Paul is presenting Adam and Christ as two uh, respective or representative heads. Adam, one head of humanity, Christ, the the other. And, And every person Paul is saying to us is either in Adam or you're in Christ. And so he's going to lay, start laying out for us what it means to be in Christ. And you notice the top, the title of the message this morning Union with Christ. Maybe you've never heard that term before, but it's essentially talking about what it means to be in Christ. John Murray um, talked about the, the central, this is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. Are you in Christ? So this is another reason Paul uses, therefore, in verse 12. It is to connect us to what he said in verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now listen to the paraphrase again by J.B. Phillips. I think it's helpful. He says, here's how he would translate that. Surely now that we are reconciled, we may be perfectly certain of our salvation through His living in us. Christ living in us. In other words, if God has saved us through the death of Christ, He will certainly save us by our being in His life in his life. He's telling us something. He's introducing for us, and it's going to, he's going to talk about this more and more in chapter 6, but he's introducing it for us here, and it's as important as we think about this passage. The word in, uh, as Lloyd-Jones notes here, it means in the sphere of, or in the realm of, or in connection with. I like that, in connection with his life. And so it's critical to understand all of us are either in Adam or we're in Christ. And to be in Adam means that we are in sin. We are facing death, condemnation, the certain wrath of God. If you are connected with Adam, you're in the realm of Adam. You're in the sphere of Adam. You're in connection with Adam. And all of the actions and the results of those actions of sin are on you and in you. But if we are in Christ, that is, He lives in us. We are in connection with His life. You see, all of His righteousness lives in us. All of His obedience lives in us. His eternal life lives in us. One theologian writes this, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we're separated from Him, all that He's suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us, only if we are in Christ do we have these things. A theologian named Michael Horton writes this. He calls this passage the basis of Paul's entire systematic theology, he writes this, he says, in Adam we possess all that he possesses, original sin, judgment, condemnation, fear, alienation. In Christ we possess all of his righteousness, his holiness, Eternal life, justification, adoption, blessing, all of those things. Remember what he said. He said, uh, Paul, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God has made us alive together, right? How did he make us alive? He came in. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but who, you got it, lives in me. He lives in me. Think of how often Paul speaks about this connection, this in, this union with with Christ over and over again in the New Testament, talking about being in Christ, in Him. I was uh, thinking about just Ephesians 1 for an example. Listen to how many times he says it. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 7, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Verse 11, in him we have uh, obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, we were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Christianity, and Brent alluded to this earlier, it was important. Christianity is not just believing in objective truth. That is important. That is critical that we believe the truth about these things. But it's more than that. To be a Christian is not just to believe in objective truth of these things. It is to take Christ into your life. It is to be in Christ. Salvation is being in union with Christ. Hear from Horton one more time. He said this, the Christ who has done everything necessary for our salvation in history outside of us. He's done all those things outside of us. Now comes to dwell in the person of his spirit in us. It's a a magnificent truth. Colossians 1.27, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Here is this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 John 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. How do we know it? Because he's given us his spirit to live inside of us. Do not think, church, that, that we're because we're talking about this in-depth, that we're talking about some boring doctrine and we might as well be in a seminary class because of the details of this. This is glorious, life-changing doctrine of the Scripture. Paul wants us to see that we're not just forgiven here when we talk about the work of the cross being finished, but the fact that we are new creations in Christ. That we are new members of uh, members of God's family. Not only that we're forgiven, but we've been delivered from the very realm of sin and death. That because we are in Christ and He is in us, that we are in a new realm of righteousness and joy and peace and eternal life, which by the way, nothing can take away. And we have Jesus Christ who is the very hope of the glory of God that we talked about in verse 3. We have Him living in us, He says. That's amazing. Therefore, Paul says in verse 12, this then is what happened. Here's how it happened. We were in the life of Adam before, but now we are in the life of Christ. And we are being saved, verse 10, by, because He is in us. His life is in us. We are in union with Him. How wonderful is this, church? How can one man what one man did so long ago mess up things for everyone. If you can understand that, Paul says you're in a really great position to understand how this other one man came to make it all right. Can you feel the truth of what he's saying here? We sometimes sing that song, do you feel the world is broken? And we say, we do, right? We do, you feel it, You look around, you think of all the brokenness around us. You think of how much things are are messed up globally and nationally. And then also personally, think of all the moral breakdown that we see right now, the strife, the division, the death. We think, why is it like this? How did it ever get like this? If you read the Old Testament, it's always been like this, hasn't it? There's always been this brokenness. This is a pattern, and it's from Adam and his disobedience. I don't know about you. Praise God, that's only half the story. Because there's the story of God's people. And in every generation, there are people, there there have been people who are different because something has happened to them. Something has happened. They've undergone a change. They seem to be people who are new creatures, who... And these people claim to know God and they claim to have found joy and happiness in Him and their lives remarkably are different. They're, they're not marked by moral confusion and, and theological confusion, but rather there's a remarkable clarity to what they believe. There's a remarkable simplicity of conviction. There's a remarkable change of what how they live in their lives. What has happened to them? It is because what Christ has done and the fact that He is now in in them. In them. And so it all depends on whether you are in Christ or or you're still in Adam. Which are you? That's the main question of today. Which are you? Regeneration or being born again, the new birth, is what begins this union with Christ. How do you want to be in Him? It happens when you're born again. Has Christ come to live in you? Not just have you believed these truths, but does He live in you? Again listen to Paul one more time, Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. If you're here today and you want God to make you alive in Christ and you want the new life of Christ to come and live in you, what do you do? You ask Him. You ask Him. You, you humble yourself. You acknowledge your deadness. You acknowledge the messed up life that you have. And you ask Him to make you alive in Christ. To save you. I pray that if that's happened to you, then it would lead to great worship in your life today. Gratefulness, desires to, to, to learn His Word, to learn more about these things, to continue to follow Him and serve Him and live for Him. And if you don't know Him today, today you would ask Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this passage here and, and that we're just diving into. And, and we pray for Your help in it, Lord. And, and, and as we begin, just thinking about whether we are in Adam or in Christ, Lord, that you would make these things clear in our own hearts. And I know it's a longing of many, if not most, or all the people here that we want to be in Jesus and He in us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would continue to have assurances of that, of peace and grace and hope that we've talked about. But if it's not, Lord, make it clear that we might come to know Him and be changed by Him. May there be a clear difference in our lives as a result of that. We pray this for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.